So we are going to be looking at those first five verses of Genesis. So this is page one of the Bibles provided in the chairs. You want to turn to page one. And we're going to be looking at these first verses in the Bible. Oh, I'm excited. We're starting in our new series, Genesis 1, 2, and 3. Genesis 1, 2, and 3. Um, as I was praying through and looking through in that, I already realized I made a terrible mistake in this series. Today's text alone is five sermons worth of material. So pray for me and give me, uh, God will give me wisdom and guidance. So but we're going to be looking through these first chapters of Genesis in the next few months, uh, seeing how God is so powerful and so glorious. So Genesis chapter 1, starting at verse 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. And God said, let there be light. And there was light. God saw that the light was good, and he separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. And there was evening, and there was morning, the first day. Let us go to God in prayer. Let us pray. Father, we do thank you for your word. We thank you for how you reveal yourself to us. Father, we pray that you would give us wisdom and understanding through the power of your Holy Spirit. Guide us into your truth and help us to live lives to your glory. In Christ's name, amen. As we begin looking at Genesis chapters 1, 2, and 3, we see where it all begins these crucial words in the Bible. In the beginning, God. It's very important. Very important. That could be a sentence or that could be a refrain we would say before we do or think or act on anything. That could be a good way to begin our prayers. If we're in a time of pain or difficulty or challenge, if we're in the midst of conflict, To stop and say, in the beginning, God. Because that puts everything in perspective. It gets everything in the right priority. It helps us understand that we have not always been. That we are creation. And there is a creator who is over us. Who made us from nothing. And this creator is all-powerful, and he has a purpose and a will, and we are to give him all glory and honor. So that's why it's so important, these first words in the Bible, in the beginning, God, that makes everything very clear, very clear. And you can see the problem we have if we replace in the beginning with anything other than God. 
in the beginning this theory or in the beginning this or that or in the beginning these things. And if we begin wrong, it only gets worse from there. So you see how crucial, important in the beginning God is. And that sets the tone for these scriptures. You know, there's different genres of literature, writing style in the Bible. There's um, poetry. You can see Psalms and Proverbs. There's wisdom literature. You can see prophecy. But these first chapters of Genesis are written as history. This is history. This is a spoken out how these things happened exactly. And how can we know that? Because the one who breathed these out, the one who wrote these, the one who is guiding us into truth was the only one who was there. The Father, Son, Holy Spirit. This is a first-hand account by the only one who was or could have been present in the beginning. So that's why this is so vitally important for us to understand. So if you look on your outline on the back, you have a few different points and some different passages we'll be referencing and looking at. And the first point I have there is God, the sovereign creator of all things outside of himself. God. Already in the first verses of Genesis 1, we see God as a trinity. We have in the beginning God created. And then verse 2, we have the Spirit of God. That's the Holy Spirit hovering over the face of the waters. And in verse 3, it says, and God said, there's the eternal word, Jesus Christ. So we have here established in the first three verses of the Bible, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So we understand God, one in three persons, as creating, as bringing everything into existence that's outside of himself. But what's so important about that is God has no need for his creation. God was in perfect fellowship, perfect unity before anything was created. There was a perfect relationship, perfect unity, wholeness, and power for eternity past before anything came into being. So that's very important to understand. And as we go through Genesis chapter 1, 2, and 3, we see where that's the foundation that's laid is even how things come to be. We see today where God creates light It isn't until several days later he makes the sun, moon, and stars. Why is that? Because he doesn't need the sun, moon, and stars for light. God creates light. comes from God. So we're going to see that throughout this order. The whole purpose of the structure and order of Genesis 1, 2, and 3 is to show us that God needs nothing outside of himself. He's all-powerful, all-sufficient, all-complete, all-holy, all-true within himself. That's very important to remember. 
and understand. So everything that comes about through this creation is a pure act of God displaying his glory, his love, and his goodness to the creation. It's a gift. It's a gift. It's a beautiful thing. So we see here, God, the sovereign creator of all things outside of himself. And this becomes the foundation throughout all the Old Testament and all the New Testament of why we can trust God, why we can place our hope in God, why everything should be centered on God. We see this in Nehemiah 9, 6. Nehemiah 9, 6. This is a often quoted passage of scripture throughout the Old New Testament because it sums everything up. Nehemiah 9, 6. You are the Lord, you alone. You have made heaven, the heaven of heavens with all their hosts, the earth and all that is on it, the seas and all that is in them. And you preserve all of them. And the host of heaven worships you. That's it. That's it. I, I have this vivid memory of when I was a young Boy Scout, new to the troop, and I was heading out on my first camping trips. I remember my grandmother, God bless her, dutifully there with this permanent marker on every tag of clothing, writing my initials. I just have this image on the side there on my T-shirts, J.M., everything, J.M., J.M. Every article of clothing I owned had a J.M. Everything she could write that on. My pad that I rolled out, J.M. All these things. Marked everything. Marked everything. Then as I got new gear, I remember my mother doing the same thing. Putting my name, Jacob Meadows, on everything. Everything. So that as things spilled over and other side this that, people would pick it up and say, who does this belong to? Oh. I should have known. That's Jacob's. And they'd bring it back to me. Well, the whole purpose of Nehemiah 9.6 is this. You turn anyone over here, and there's going to be specific initials on every single human being. God. He made you. He made you. Everything belongs to him. Every rock, every tree, everything of creation has his name on it because he's the sovereign creator so everything is to give him the glory and the praise and honor you see this in first chronicles 16 the same the same statement so what do we do this when we understand that god is the creator he's made everything then we give him praise and we proclaim it to everyone that's the fruit Once we understand in the beginning God, then our life is to be praising him and proclaiming that truth to everyone, to everyone. And that's what 1 Chronicles 16 says. It says this, sing to the Lord all the earth, tell of his salvation from day to day, declare his glory among the nations, his marvelous works among all the peoples. For great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. 
And he is to be feared, this holy, reverent fear and honor given to God and God alone. And he is to be feared above all little g gods. For all the little g gods of the peoples are worthless idols. But the Lord made the heavens. That's the key. Any false god or false religion or false philosophy, anything that isn't based in the truth of Scripture and the Father, Son, Holy Spirit and the truth of Jesus Christ as Lord of Lords and King of Kings, anything that is other or substitute and idol is worthless. Worthless. It will not save you. It will not help you. All it will do is continue to deceive you and continue to help you spiral into darkness and destruction. There's only one who can turn on the light in our lives, the light of salvation in Jesus Christ. And it is the God who said, let there be light in the beginning. Is the only God who can speak to each and every one of us and say, let there be light in your life. And you see Jesus Christ for who he is. This is the whole theme of Isaiah. If you were to read through, I encourage you sometime in the next few days to read Isaiah chapter 44 and 45. Just read through those two chapters. And you see where the prophet Isaiah lifts that up. That God, because he is the creator, because he made the heavens and earth... Because he made everything from nothing. He's all-powerful. Because of that, we can trust him. We, we can understand that he's the source of all our life. All that's true. All that's good. And there's no competition that could compare to God. Isaiah 44. I'll just read some of these key verses. Isaiah 44, verse 24. Thus says the Lord, your Redeemer, who formed you from the womb. I am the Lord who made all things, who alone stretched out the heavens, who spread out the earth by myself. (laughs) None of us was there. None of us helped God. None of us contributed at all to God's creation of all things. It's the same thing with our redemption and salvation. You see this in Isaiah 45, the same theme. Isaiah 45, starting at verse 7. God says, I form light and create darkness. I make well-being and create calamity. I am the Lord who do all these things. God is complete sovereign and everything comes about due to his plan and his will. Isaiah 45, verse 18. For thus says the Lord who created the heavens, he is God who formed the earth and made it. He established it. He did not create it empty. He formed it to be inhabited. So if God is that powerful, that he created everything in the beginning. Is he that powerful that he can recreate us? 
that he can save us from our sins, that he can bring healing and peace where there is conflict and pain and brokenness? Yes. That's what he says. Isaiah 40, verse 28. Have you not known... Have you not heard the Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth? He does not faint or grow weary. His understanding is unsearchable. He gives power to the faint. To him who has no might, he increases strength. So you see the vital importance for all the Old and New Testament, for each and every believer in Jesus Christ now. You see the all-importance of understanding in the beginning, God. Don't replace that fourth word with anything else. In the beginning, God. If you replace that fourth word with anything else, you have nothing in all the rest of the Scriptures. We have to hold on to and understand the vital importance of this truth that God is the creator. He created everything from nothing. Father, Son, Holy Spirit. He is sovereign. He is in control. He has made everything for his purpose and his will and his ways. And all that we can do before such a powerful and holy and sovereign God is to to fall down in thanks and praise and glory. Because He is God and we are not. That's the key thing to remember. It isn't just in the beginning, God. It's right now, God. It's tomorrow, God. And it's for eternity, God. That's the key thing. And that's what Genesis 1 is establishing. And that's why that is the main theme woven throughout all the Scriptures. God, who is the God, who is the creator, is the redeemer, is the sustainer, is the one who will bring his glory, and is the one who will be praised and glorified forever and ever and ever. And there's no one who can stand up to God. There's no one stronger, wiser, or more able. So we understand that understanding of the sovereign creator of all things outside of himself. It talks about the creation. We see this in verse 2. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep. Here we see God is creating, and we see this void, this emptiness and darkness. And in the midst of this emptiness and darkness where the Spirit of God is there present. Again, you see the Father, Son, Holy Spirit active, not only in the creation, but in our recreation. When we are saved, it's the same act, the same Trinitarian work. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. And God said, remember God's power and sovereignty and will, All God has to do is speak, and it happens. And God said, let there be light, and there was light. And God saw that the light was good. 
we see here the understanding of day one. God called the light day and the darkness he called night. And there was evening and there was morning the first day. As I said, the genre that Genesis 1 is written in is of history. It's, it's laying out for you what happened and how it happened and who did it. And this is the truth. We see the vital importance of this on day one. Because this is establishing something very important. Light is from God. It is spoken into existence from nothing. God is the source of light, the source of light in the midst of all chaos and darkness. Not only is that how it is in the creation, but that is how it is in our recreation. God speaks the light in the midst of the darkness. We see that theme throughout the scriptures. That's why John chapter 1 takes us back to Genesis. So John, the Gospel of John chapter 1, verse 1 says, In the beginning was the Word. Here he's showing you how Jesus Christ was at the beginning. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. So there's Jesus Christ. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There's the promise. There's the hope. No matter how dark, no matter how difficult, no matter how painful or broken things can be and things can seem, no matter how far deep you are plunged into darkness, if the light of God comes and shines in your life, the truth of Jesus Christ, and you trust and believe, the darkness will not overcome the light. That's where our hope is. That's where our security is. It's in the light from God shining in our lives. The true light which gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. We see the power of darkness in the one who is in opposition. It's a powerful statement, understanding God creating light. Because ultimately, we all find ourselves from conception. We are conceived into sin and disobedience and rebellion. We are conceived into darkness. And we need to have that recreation, that born-again work take place in our lives of God shining the light of His Son, Jesus Christ, so that we may see, that we may hear, that we may understand, trust and believe, and be made new. That's why Colossians 1 talks about it like this. He describes salvation as this in verse 13. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us 
to the kingdom of his beloved son. There's the rescue mission. There's the rescue mission. That's the elite team that comes in and you are in this domain of darkness. You are chained in this deep, dark cell. And the team comes in, blows the doors down, breaks the chains, grabs you. You are too weak to even stand. And they carry you out of that dark dungeon and tunnel. And they bring you into the light. And they take you and they get you onto the helicopter. And the helicopter flies you to the base and brings you and transfers you to the kingdom of the Son, Jesus Christ. That's what it means that God, He does it. He delivers. He transfers. He rescues when we are hopeless and powerless and in darkness. He shines the light. He shines the light. In whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. And that's why Ephesians 5 talks about those who are in Jesus Christ. For at one time you were darkness. Paul says to the church in Ephesus, he doesn't just say they were in the dominion of darkness. He says at one time you were darkness. But now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of the light. So that's my hope and prayer and encouragement for everyone here. As we begin going through Genesis 1, 2, and 3 and understanding what it means in the beginning God, that He is sovereign, that He is creator, that He brings about His will and His way, that He makes light where there is darkness and emptiness. That He is the same God that comes to each and every one of us in our darkness of sin and disobedience and says, let there be the light of my Son, Jesus Christ. And we are saved. Just as Jesus displays it when He goes to the tomb of Lazarus and Lazarus has already been there long enough to stinketh, as the King James says. All Jesus has to do is say, Lazarus, come out. And he comes out of the darkness and death of the tomb into the light of life through his spoken word. That's the same thing that happens to every one of us. And that's what we pray for and hope for, for everyone that we know who continues to be in darkness of sin and disobedience and unbelief, we pray that God will say, let there be light in their lives. And they will see Jesus in all His glory and all His splendor. Let us pray. Father, we thank You. We thank You that Your Son, Jesus Christ, would so willingly come and shine the light of hope, salvation, forgiveness and grace into our lives. Father, we pray that you would just fix our eyes on your Son, Jesus Christ, where there is no shadow, no confusion, but truth and love and glory. In Christ's wonderful name, amen.